It's a particular, particular delight for me today to have my sister and brother-in-law with us from Oklahoma again. I'll be going back, I think, tomorrow. You'll be leaving, won't you? Tomorrow. Be driving back. Evelyn and Bennett Wilson from Yukon, Arizona, Oklahoma, just outside of Oklahoma City. It's a delight to have had them in the area. We, uh, we'll, we'll release our kids. Go ahead, kids. We'll release you this time. Let's just give our kids a hand as they go. Thank you. We were over at the Orange Park Mall, Brother Claude and I, yesterday, and we were representing the college and the church and mainly the college in some areas, and we just had a delightful time over there ministering to some people and getting to see folks and watching what was going on. So it was a busy time. We had a wedding here last night. We got a couple married here last night, beautiful ceremonies here at the church. I got that done. Wednesday nights. I'm telling you, Wednesday nights are getting better all the time. Uh, This particular teaching that we're on right now is the power tongue. And if you need to have your life turned around, and if you've not been here on Wednesday night, I want you to seriously consider coming because Wednesday night is is a blessed time. And we're teaching something that I guarantee you will revolutionize your life and change it forever. You will see things change if you, if you can come and all make it on Wednesday night when we're teaching that power tongue thing. Also, I just want to remind you that next Sunday, the 17th and the following Tuesday, the 19th, uh, they'll be airing our uh, TV program that we did for the Church of the Week here. Of course, we have our own weekly TV program, but they'll be airing the one that we did through, ch- through the Acts channel, channel 49 on uh, next Sunday morning at 9 o'clock and then the following Tuesday at, uh, at 7.30. They featured us as Church of the Week and tuned that in. I'll probably make the same announcement uh, Wednesday night. Well, a lot, of th- a lot of good things happening here at Zoe Chapel Church. And we were just delighted that you're here. And why don't you turn with me to the f- book of First uh, Samuel. First Samuel. We want to read the first two verses today for our base text. Just after the book of Ruth, which is a wonderful story about a woman which follows the Judges chapter, Judges, Ruth, and then Samuel chapter 1. And we want to look at the thought today about uh, barrenness, barren, barren wounds. What can be produced out of barren wombs? Samuel chapter 1, first, uh, verses 1 and 2 says, There was a certain man of Ramatham Zoepham. That's a mouthful, isn't it? Of Mount Ephraim. And his name was Elkaniah, the son of Jeroram, the son of Elihu the son of Tohu, the son of Zufa, and Ephratite. And he had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Hannah had no children. 
talking about barren wombs today. The setting of this story is Ramatham Zolotham. Now, this name denotes a city that was part of a two-city conglomeration where there was a high place to, that was set up where the watchman guarded the entrance to the, to the land. It was a tower place. It was a tower city where the watchman's tower was built. And it was there that a continual guard was kept over the land. Continual guard for the safety of the land. And this is about a thousand years before the birth of Christ when this story is taking place. And Elkaniah, the husband in this situation, he had two wives. Of course, we know that there's trouble right away. You see, polygamy was forbidden in the Bible. Old Testament and New Testament, it was forbidden. But Jesus said that it had to be tolerated because of the hardness of their hearts. You know, God has to, to-, has to-, he has to work with some toleration things in our life. Many times, just because our hearts are hardened and he can't do his perfect will, and he has to work around that perfect will because of the hardness in our hearts at times. And that's what Jesus was saying. And if you read through the Bible, there are 16 cases of where polygamy was examples used in the Bible and connected to every one of them, there's problems. Every one of those stories, there's a problem involved in that. You see, there there can only be one captain of a ship. There can only be one pastor of a church. There can only be one woman in a household. And when you've got dual responsibility, you've got a problem going into the thing. Only one person can really be in charge. And he had two. So he had a problem. Elkanai, it says, tolerated the one woman. He just put up with her. Evidently, he was a good man. But he put up with her. But he said he loved Hannah. He loved Hannah. And the word means, man, he loved her. He really cared for her. And the other wife had, had given him children. And there's nothing in the world like a man and a woman coming together. And having children, but yet the scripture says that he tolerated her and loved Hannah. And Hannah was, Hannah was barren, had no children. And it warred against her spirit continually. You see, a life or a relationship that doesn't produce fruit brings confusion into that relationship. And it brings pain into that relationship. Relationships that don't produce have confusion attached to them. 
If you have unsaved people relating to unsaved people and there's, there can be no production, no real production there and there's confusion and there's pain and if you have a saved person trying to produce with an unsaved person, you've got confusion and you've got pain into that and if you've got saved people trying to produce with, with saved people and there's no fruit being involved in that thing, you've got pain and confusion. You see, what's, what's spiritual and what's natural can play against each other. Those things that we read in the Old Testament, which Dr. Farentino said, they're a type. We can look at the natural things that are, are applied in the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, you see, God had to deal with people in the natural. So that when we get to the New Testament, he could deal with them in the spiritual. That which is manifest in the natural in the Old Testament when they slew a, a lamb by cutting its throat and that blood was poured out after the impartation of sin on it. Can't you see that that's Jesus in the New Testament? When you see God working through lives in the natural, barren wounds in the Old Testament, he's talking about spiritual truths in the New Testament. And when you talk about the natural aspect of a husband and wife coming together, and the fruit isn't there. There's pain. And there's hurt. We've had this in our family. My brother and his wife could not have their own children. I don't know what it was. But they couldn't produce. And, and there's many couples that fall into the situation. But that doesn't ease the pain in the thing. There's still pain and there's still hurt there. In a home without children. There's a void there that even though you've never had children, there's just that inherent thing about a house, that feeling that there should be a child there. I knew a man one time said, me and my wife don't want children. And I thought, my Lord, how selfish. How selfish. That's an inherent thing that God places within, it, within every family is to produce. In Genesis 1-1, when he started putting the canon together, he said, let, them, let the earth produce forth the living creature after his kind. That's the law of God. And when he spoke that, he put that into the heart of man, even to the unsaved people, into the animals, that when they come together, that there's to be a production that's involved in that. I'm talking about barrenness this morning. Barrenness, again in Genesis 1.26, it said God created man in his own image and blessed him and said, be fruitful and multiply. Can I tell you, we serve a God who is a fruitful God. That's one of his natures. El Shaddai is a God who is the breastly one. That's what it means, isn't it, Bible students? It means that he's, by the connotation there, when you say El Shaddai, you are saying, there's a song about that, but when you say that, that means that when you come needing nourishment to God, any place you get him, you get that nipple where you can draw that spiritual milk out of him and be nourished. And, and in a type, in the mother's breast, it tells us is the most perfect fluid in the world for nurturing that child through that first initial state. We have nurses, and they'll testify to that fact. 
Man's never been able to reproduce that positively and completely what comes out of that mother. And in that, when it says El Shaddai, means my brother and sister, that if you have a need, you can latch on to nothing but God's toe and you're going to get that nourishment. Or if you just bite him on the, on the, on the arm, you're going to get that nourishment. Any place you can touch him, even at the hem of his garment, you'll find that nourishment. What am I saying? I'm saying any time you can get to any part of God, you can be nourished. That's there. That's built in into the El Shaddai. He says, be fruitful and multiply because we serve a God who is fruitful and is a blessing God. And that law is still in effect today. Be fruitful and multiply. Our bodies are to produce children. They are to produce. And our souls are to bear fruit. And they're to have wisdom and knowledge a mind that's eaten away with drugs and eaten away with sex and eaten away with making money and eaten away with getting next to the Joneses and being like them and not seeking God is an unfruitful mind and soul. God created us to be fruitful and multiply. Body, soul, and our spirits are to be so filled up with God that there's no place for pain. Can I tell you that pain in your spirit, emptiness in your spirit, is, is hurting God. He wants you to be joyous and happy and prosperous and at peace. Galatians 5 gives us the fruit of the spirit, and I don't see despondency mentioned once. I don't see pain and travail in the mind mentioned once. When I get there, it talks to me about the fruit of the Spirit. is peace and joy, love, long-suffering. You say, I can't do those things. I know it, I can't either. But praise God, he that lives within me is greater than even I am. God can, well, if you go clap, clap, hallelujah. Let's get loose in God. He, give him a blessing. Don't wait for that person next to you. If the Holy Spirit speaks something that blesses you, just say, glory. Like White Thompson says, sometime a preacher will say something, making even a Baptist just go, mm. <laughs> I adapted that from him. That guy's something in him. You see, Hannah's husband, Elkaniah, was willing to tolerate this situation. But all the time, Hannah's heart was hurting and there was pain in her heart. And Hannah did four things, four things that touched the heart of God. Verse 12 says the first thing that she did was that when her husband took her and the family to Shiloh, that's the place where the tabernacle was. When he did that, they went to worship the Lord. It says that Hannah stayed and prayed. She stayed and prayed before the Lord. You see, and that's when God's heart began to be touched. When she hung on and prayed and, and hung on and stayed in there before the Lord. You can be willing to tolerate the lack of fruitfulness in your life if you want to. And God will let you do it. If you don't want to produce, 
You can go home today and sit down in your easy chair and don't eat and don't do anything in about 63 days. We can preach a funeral. Or you can decide, this is my day. I'm going to go on with God. I'm going to be fruitful. I'm going to start hearing what the Holy Spirit says to me. And between that spectrum and that spectrum is where we all live and move and have our being. And we all walk our own way and we all pull our own little red wagon. And we rise or fall, but we can be willing to put up with an unfruitfulness if we want to. And God will have to honor that. You say, when God's ready, he'll save me. No, he won't. And can I quickly say that you can't get saved anytime you want to. Our peer people say, I'm going to live like I want to. And they don't say it exactly this way, but this is what freely translated means. I'm going to live like the very devil, get all the world's pleasure out. And when I get ready, I'll let God save me. Forget it. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Anytime you have sin in your life, you say, I'll put up with this for a little while, not doing God's perfect will, and when I'm ready to move on beyond this thing, I'll let the Lord move me on. It doesn't work that way. He says, you can't come to God unless he calls you. Gratefully, most of the time, and prayerfully, he's calling us consistently to do these things, and he's giving up the fruit of the Spirit, which is long-suffering, to deal with us in these situations. But if you want to be unfruitful, you can. Elkaniah, the husband, took his family to the house of God. What a message for fathers. And what a message for mothers. We bring children with us consistently that their parents package them up and send them off with us and we could be the biggest occult in the city and they, they have no idea what we're teaching their children. And I tell you something, they'll stand before God and answer for it. We are called to rear our children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. We are not called to send them any place. Only tell them about it. We are to take them and then live it in front of them. Take them and then live it in front of them. This husband, Elkaniah, took his family to the house of God. And it says then that Hannah, she stayed and she prayed. You see, the answer doesn't always come immediately, church. Sometimes you've just got to use the old colloquial term and hang in there. Honey, sometimes you've just got to hold. When you get to the end of the rope, you've got to tie a knot in the Lord and just hang on. Because it doesn't always work immediately. Because you see, Hannah was hurting all the time. And there was a definite need there. And she was in pain. But can I tell you that just because there's a need and just because she's hurting and just because of the pain did not move God one bit. There are a lot of Christians today who are sitting around and saying, oh, God, I'm hurting so bad. This pain in me, don't you know I'm in pain? And the Holy Spirit is crying, of course I do. I'm living inside of you. I'm sharing the pain with you. You can't feel anything that God doesn't feel if you're a child of God because he's living inside of you. You're not going to go anything through anything that he's not because he's living inside of you. He's sharing every, even every intent of your heart. 
He's feeling it more acutely than you are. More acutely. But you see, pain does not move God. If it did, every little old saint in the world would be immediately healed. And all of them would be working, walking perfectly in, in Galatians 5, the fruits of the Spirit, long-suffering, peace, and joy. Yet I see all the time people who've been serving God 20 and 30 years, and their life is a shambles, and they're the most unhappy people in the world. And I think, my Lord, get a hold of God. Find something and hang on to the Lord. And, but start moving in God because pain only won't do that. You see, what moves God, church, is persistence. What moves God is when you, when you come before him and you tell him, I am not going to move except you bless me. Like Jacob said, I am not going to let you go except you bless me. What moves God is prayer. When, you know, in prayer, you, you can't really come into the presence of God with your head held up high. You might walk through the gate that way, but he says, come into my courts, my gates with thanksgiving, into my courts with praise. And I'm telling you, by the time you come into his gates and in through his courts, God, the Holy Ghost has caused you to, he's turned that spotlight on your life. And by the time you get to the throne of God, even though you're walking in there boldly, you come in just praising him because his grace is more than sufficient to carry you into his presence. And you're just grateful for being there. And you look little in your own eyes. And you look up at him and you say, my God, how great thou art. Persistence and prayer moved Hannah. And it moved God when she got serious. She had been hurting for years. She stayed and prayed. The second thing was... That Hannah explained her problem and her pain and her hurt and her trouble to Eli. Eli was the man of God for her hour, for her need. Those people who stay by themselves in times of trouble suffer terrible consequences. Terrible consequences. My Lord, when you're hurting, don't torture yourself away. Don't lock yourself away someplace and hurt. Get together with the body of Christ. Get together with somebody. And pray and believe God. Get somebody who can be touched with your infirmities. There was a noted evangelist. If I called his name, you wouldn't know him immediately. One of the saddest things I heard him say was that when he was going through his problem and he was starting his downward slide that he could find nobody to talk to. First of all, I don't accept that. You see, God still says he's got 7,000 that haven't bowed their knee. What do I mean by that? It means for every charlatan that you'll come across in the body of Christ, God's got a man or a woman who's strong and who are what they say they are. God does have righteous people. God does have holy people. God does have people who are living right. I don't care if they're black or white or red or yellow or pink or polka dot. God does have valid people. Even because there's counterfeit money has to prove it somewhere. There's the real thing. I think God will send anybody somebody when they're hurting if they'll just, you know, pride is most of the time what gets people. 
I'm not going to share my heart with anybody. I can bluff through this thing. I can make it on through. And I can make that statement because I've, I've walked in those shoes. I'm tough. I can make it mentally through this thing. And I found out I couldn't do it. Sometime I had to say, God, give me somebody who can agree with me over this thing. And when I humble myself, the Lord produced somebody and touched my life. Hannah explained her problem to the man of God. You see, most of the time, the people who stay by themselves lose the battle. And sadly, most of the time, they lose the war. I'm sorry if you believe once saved, always saved. It's not in the Bible. It's just not there. And once you're saved, right now you have the prerogative. If you don't like what the preacher's saying, or if the Holy Ghost is grabbing you, you have the right to get up and walk out of this building and never come back again. And you have the same right with God. Anytime you want to, you can get up and walk out of the presence of the Holy Spirit, say, I don't want this anymore, I'm going back to the life I used to have, and God, with a tear in his eye, will just have to sit there and watch you go. Just like the, the prodigal son's father. I don't think there was a smile on his face when he saw that younger child walk down that road until he was a speck and then gone. If he was any kind of father at all, and the scripture says that he was, that man hurt for that kid as they went their way. And do we think that God isn't more than that? Hebrews 10.25 commands us, not just tells us and says if you want to, but he commands us that after we're children of God, it says in 10.25 that we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. What day? What day we see approaching the terrible day of God when God's spirit is no longer going to plead with men out of, out of, out of, a, of, a, of a heart that says, please come to me. Let me just bless you. Let me bring you to myself. There's coming a time when God says, that's it. You've trodden under blood, the, underfoot the blood of my son for the last time. I'm taking my church out and then terrible wrath is coming upon this land and upon this world, and I'm telling you, I don't believe it's too many days hence. I wouldn't be surprised any moment if it happens. I'm talking literally. I know you might have heard that before, possibly all your life, but I'm telling you, the rapture of the church and the terrible days upon the earth are upon us. They're upon us, and I'm warning the church today to get serious about where you are in God, your relationship, your family's relationship. Your kids don't need a new car. They don't need a college education. They don't need a new set of clothes. They don't need a better house. If God's got to pay the bill for it. All those things are good, but get them into the house of God where, where they can be fed the word that when they're not with you, that word will be a residual fact that will be resounding through their spirit. Let them get saved. I hear a lot of parents say, well, my kids don't want to come hurt, and I don't want to wound them and turn them away by bringing them to church. I'd drag them by the hair of the head if I had to. Where do you think they're going to hear the word if they don't hear it in the house of God? They're not going to hear it in some movie house. They're not going to hear it from any rock band. And I hate to say it, but they won't hear it from too many contemporary Christian bands because contemporary Christian band, can I tell you, they hate, I hate them in my spirit. I think they stink of God. And I don't think there's anything godly about it. I don't think God's getting the glory. 
To me, they look like the world, and they sound like the world, and they smell like the world. And there's an old saying about it, if it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck. As you see that day, we're to be exhorting one another. That means that we are to be calling one another near. When I don't see you, I'm supposed to say, Lord, I missed you. My spirit was empty because you were not there. There was a place at the table that was set for you and you weren't there. And we miss that fellowship. We miss that consolation that we can give one another. You have a way of ministering to me that nobody else can. We need to be saying these things to one another. This is what exhorting means. It means imploring people that when people don't come, you say, please come back. Please come back. We missed you. We need you. This church needs you. We got people who've been in here, signed, come down. Nobody drug them down the aisle. They just came down and joined this church saying, this is where God, I feel God is leading me. They go out and we try to contact them. We have no idea where they are. We reach out to them and say, please come back. We need you, and you need us. Hey, can I tell you, we're in this thing together. We're in this body of Christ together. If you don't make it, a lot of me doesn't make it. And if I'm not strong, can I tell you a secret? You're not going to be strong. That's why I'm not your enemy. That one next to you is not your enemy. That's why we need to be praying for one another, exhorting one another, lifting one another up, blessing one another, warning one another. And Hannah trusted her man of God. She put her trust in her man of God for the hour. People have been hurt by preachers. And terribly hurt and turned off. And they're sitting in their living rooms today, shut away. And they've been hurt by a lot of church people. Because somebody had zeal without wisdom. Or else somebody just wasn't listening to God and just did what the flesh sounded. Some, you know, just said what they thought. How many people are wounded because some Christian just opened their mouth and said what they thought? That's what we're teaching about here on Wednesday night. Is, is what comes out of here can change your life. If you're not here, you need to be. You, I tell you, what comes out of here can make or break you. What the Bible says. That's strong words. We need to know what that word says. It's not just words that pour out of us. They make or break us. Hannah put her faith in the man of God. We've got to find somebody who can minister to us. We've got to find a storehouse. We've got to find a friend that can intercede for us, that can believe with us, confess with us, pray with us. The Bible says where two or three agree on earth as touching anything. You can't do it by yourself all the time. But me and the Holy Spirit now make two. Well, that sounds good in theology, and God can get it done that way, but He put us together so that we can be touched with one another. And the perfect intent of that is two human beings, two believers touching heaven. Two believers touching heaven. Because Hannah found her man of God that she could trust, and they're not all charlatans. And thirdly, Hannah vowed a vow unto the Lord. That means that that she got desperate in her need to have that need met. Have you ever had a need and you put up with it just saying, Lord, I I want you to move on this thing. Now lay me down to sleep. If it be your will. And all the time you're hurting, 
But there came a time in your life when you got serious and said, God, if you don't move, if you don't move on this thing, somebody's going down the drain and your word says it's not going to be me. If you, the word says when you skip a serious before God, you say, your word says that you will bless in this case. And I've got you on record because your word says it. And you say your honor, your word above your name. And if nobody else in the world gets it, I'm going to be the one to get it. Can I tell you, if nobody else in the world had gotten saved, I had fully determined when I saw the call of God that it was going to be me. That he was the firstborn. He had a number. Jesus did. Then there was a second and a third and a fourth and a fifth and the 25th and the 2,000 and the 2 million, 200 million. But my name and your name's in there someplace. We've got a number, church. Someday, you, you, like the old song says, you're going to call your number. When the roll is called up, the <laughs> Glory. She got serious, desperate about her need to have that knee met. And she went to the right source. Don't go to the person first down the street. Don't even go to your prayer partner first. Get to the Lord first and foremost. If you're hurting today, if you're mad at somebody, don't go to them first. Go to God first. He says, you come to me first. And that's where you'll discover if you have a problem is when you get to the altar. Then you can lay it on the altar and go be reconciled. And then you come back to me. But first, we've got to get with God. You can't go out there and do it someplace else on your own. Reconciliation doesn't take place on your own. And she went to the right source. She went to the Lord. And she went to that person who is called Jehovah Shabbat. That means the Lord of hosts. I'm talking about the breastly one, Jehovah Shaddai. Well, now she was calling him Jehovah Shabbat. That's the Lord of hosts. That's the one that all the host of heaven has has partaker of. He created all of those. She needed that host quality in him. That's what she needed at the moment was God's host quality. That means a large number, an army, a heavenly host of men, angels, archangels of all the creation, the men of the earth as have ever been and ever will be. And she addressed God by the title that she wanted God to move. Can I tell you, if you want to get God's attention, honey, you call him by the name of what you need at the moment. Don't just say, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, I'm desiring that you move. And he says, well, I'm desiring that you know what my nature is. He wants you to call him by what you need. Glory to God. If you want to express service from God, get a hold of his nature that pertains to your specific need. He says he's got names to one. He's Jehovah Elohim. That means the self-existent, the eternal God. God doesn't need anything but himself. God did not need you to make himself complete as some preach. He was already perfectly complete before you and I came on the scene. And if we have a need, we can call him Jehovah, Jehovah, as in Genesis 22. He's the Lord who will see the sharp-sided one, the one who can experience the supplier of my need. Or he can be Jehovah, Miskadu. That's the one who's the Lord, the sanctifier. He can be Jehovah, Elohu, the Lord, our God. He can be Jehovah, Elohe, the Lord, my God, going from the God up there to the God who's personal with me. Jehovah, Shalom, the God who's the Lord. Lord of my peace. He's the Lord of my safety. 
He is my healer. He's my prosperity. He is my welfare. He can be Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, who's the banner, the one that you sail under, the, the sign for you to gather around. These are the things that we can call God by. We need to know his name that we're going to go to him for our specific need. If I'm going downtown, I don't go outside and get in my daughter's car. I go outside and get in my car because I know it. I know how it's going to perform. I know I've got the right key that unlocks the thing. I know that when I put that particular key, my key won't work in her car. And it won't work all the time in God's name either because his grace doesn't always cover. Because pain doesn't always do it. You've got to put the right key into God and then turn him on. That's why he says, I want you to study so you can understand who I am and what my nature is. How sad it is when people get saved and that's all they understand is just salvation. That just opens a door to the whole panorama of what God is and what he can do in your life. We're talking about barren wounds this morning. Barrenness. Hannah's vow said that God would receive recognition through the fruit that came out of her womb. That was her vow. You will receive glory and recognition from this. When she had conceived in the birth, she says, I'm going to have a relationship. It'll be a coming together. It'll be a conception that will give you glory. That's my vow before you, Lord, when she got serious about this thing. And the fourth thing was that God honored her request, and a son was born to her. And in verse 24 of this first chapter, it says, when she had weaned him, that would have probably been about three or so years old, She brought him into the house of the Lord in Shiloh. That's where the covenant was. you got to bring your fruit and your vow to the covenant, to the place where the covenant is. You can't always do it in the elsewhere area. you got to go to the place where this whole thing is put together. And in in the Old Testament, you had to trek to where that old sheepskin and and badger skin, where only the priest could go into it. But aren't you glad in the New Testament, all you have to do is just bow right where you are and say, Father, in Jesus' name, and speak your need to him. And he rushes. He rushes. He says, I'm there all the time. I'm as close as you're asking of me. She brought her child to Shiloh. She brought her produce, the fruit, unto the Lord. She brought this sacrifice and the gifts also unto God for his blessing her. How often we forget when God produces that fruit in our life. That thing that we were hurting for, the thing that we had desired for so long, when God gives it to us, many times we don't even turn back. To say, thank you, Lord. I'm guilty of that. I pray all the time for God to do certain things. And then all of a sudden, he'll, he'll work exactly the way I wanted him to, and some, most of the time, even more dramatically. And many, many times, I've gone an hour or two or a few minutes after the manifestation of my need was met, and all of a sudden, I come to the realization, I never went back and told him, thank you, Lord. And then I have to drag myself in there saying, oh, God, I missed it again. Jesus said, I healed ten of you. And where are the other nine? Where are the other nine? I healed ten. 
And only one came back. God, I'm sorry. I promise I won't ever try to do that again. And does he whip you at times like that? He says, okay, I received that. Now just go and sin no more. That's the kind of God we serve. That's the old Shaddai God we serve. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Verse 26 says that Hannah now says to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I'm the woman that stood here by thee, praying unto the Lord. What she's saying is, I persisted in prayer. Lord, I had this need, and you answered it. And now I'm here giving you thanks, and I'm here worshiping you. Can I tell you what turns the heart of God on the throne? Is when you come to him and says, I stood on the promises of Jesus. And they worked in my life. And I'm here to tell you, I thank you for him and for what you gave me. Any good thing in your life, every time you taste something good, every time you feel good, every time you wear something that looks good and feels good, every time you can taste, touch, smell, feel, hear anything that is good, think a good thought, all of that came through Jesus. And we want to go back to God every time the Holy Ghost quickens us and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. How grateful I am for that blessing. She no longer addressed him as Jehovah Shabbat, the Lord of hosts. Now she came and she was addressing God as Adonai Jehovah. That means the Lord, our sovereign. If he's sovereign, he is sovereign. There's only one captain as we said, and there's only one sovereign. Sorry, Mr. Bush. Sorry, Supreme Court. Sorry, Congress. Sorry, Mayor. Sorry, Governor. There's only one. Jehovah, Adonai, our sovereign, our master. Say, and we who have come up through the democracy have a little problem with calling somebody master. Because we don't want to be told what to do. We just don't want to be told what to do. But isn't it a beautiful relationship when we come to that place that just by will we say, God, you're my master. And he says, that's great, but I give you all the liberty in the world. I give you all the liberty to do everything you want to. I'm your master, but I give you liberty. Why? Because you operate within the confines of my word. And you have perfect liberty. And Satan will come and say, don't go to that Christian mess. It's just a, a thing of you can't do this and you can't do that. And the whole, we can tell him through the Holy Spirit, what are you talking about? I'm free. I can do anything I want to. And he says, well, if you can do that, then come on over here. Let's go drink and let's party and let's have a good time. And you say, I can't because my master won't let me do it. And he, and he goes, what are you talking about? And he just pulls his hair because he doesn't understand the servant and the master and the freedom relationship. He, does no, he has no understanding about how you can have perfect liberty and yet have a master. Isn't that good? Aren't you glad? Jehovah Adonai. She and her son now had a sovereign, had a master. And in conclusion to this story, the beautiful thing about it was that the household of Elkaniah was changed by the faith and practice of one 
woman who was barren but loved greatly. His whole household was changed. A woman who trusted God. And Hannah was never ever the same again. Her womb was opened. She had five other children, but she never forgot her firstborn. I've seen that we were in a service one time. Southside Assembly, I was in the service. I was conducting the service. We were ministering through the power of the Holy Spirit, and I was standing right over there, and God, I called out a, a couple back in the back, and I said, well, they were down here. They had come from the back. And I gave them a word of knowledge. I said, God just told me that you're going to bear. They had never had children. I said, God told me you're going to bear. A year later, they had a beautiful baby. Don't give up on God. Don't give up on God. One woman who trusted God, and she was never the same. And this scripture, early in the part of this story, said that this other woman who had her children were always badgering her and her adversary. Can I tell you that when you start producing fruit, it stops the adversary's mouth. When you start being a fruitful Christian, you will start stopping the adversary's mouth. That's Satan and his kingdom. Their mouths will be stopped as you start learning who you are in God. Boy, that's good when you learn that. That's good when you understand that you can stop Satan's mouth. Her womb was open. Her reproach was taken away. She was fruitful. An unfruitful Christian is a reproach to God. A fruitful Christian is a blessing and a testimony unto the Lord. People saw that she had her answer to prayer, and they saw that she got it only by being persistent and praying unto God. She didn't have to, she didn't have to take a second job. She didn't have to go to the local clinic, to the local gynecologist. And there's nothing wrong with those things, but I'm saying that she went to the one who could meet her need. And God did that. He, and people saw that by her persistence through God, she got her prayer answered. And she was now productive. The world needs to see productive Christians. They've seen unproductive Christians long enough. They've seen people who say, yes, I'm a Christian, and do everything like the world does it. But there's 7,000 who haven't bowed their knee. There are places... That even though some say healing is not for the day, the gifts are not for the day. They died out at the end of the first century. There are places, and this is one of them, where you can come and God will prove himself to be a healing, delivering, prospering, eye-opening, ear-opening, limbs unlimbering God miraculously. She was now productive. And oh, Elkaniah, didn't have to do the warfare in his family anymore. He could go back to what he had been called to do, and that was get on the tower and start watching. How many Christians have we got fighting battles when they ought to be watching out? And we're being overrun because somebody's not on the wall. They're fighting the wrong kind of battle. They need to be on the wall. And there's a problem in their household. There's a problem in their life. 
The Elkanah was now on guard again. The, the, the guard of the nation was up and there was joy and there was increase and there was pride because there was now a son in his home. And the Bible says that Samuel, the child, later worshipped the Lord in Shiloh. Her children stayed with the Lord. Mother, can I tell you, don't give up on those kids. Hang in there with them. Lift them up before the Lord. Confess to God that they're going to come back to him. The Bible says that when they're old, they won't leave that foundational teaching. And this story speaks to us today as I close. And will you please stand with me?